From Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, this is a podcast of KZYX's local coronavirus update for Friday, October 9th, 2020. On Fridays, Alicia Bales talks with Mendocino County's public health officer, Dr. Andy Corrin, about the county's response to the pandemic and listeners call in with their questions. It is 3 o'clock on Friday afternoon. That means it is time for the local coronavirus update, this time with our local public health officer, Dr. Andy Corrin, and I'm Alicia Bales in the studio. Good afternoon, Dr. Corrin. Hello, how are you? I'm fine. Wonderful, beautiful Friday afternoon here. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. And welcome, too, to the other folks on the Zoom call with us, Sarah Duquette, the PIO for Mendocino County, and Becky Emery, the Department Operations Center Manager. Welcome to all of you. Um, We do this every Friday. We're going to get an update on the local coronavirus response here in Mendocino County, how things are going, and also give our listeners a chance to call in and ask questions that they may have about the pandemic. So uh, we'll open up the phone lines in a few minutes. But first, Dr. Corrin, do you want to give us the latest on how Mendocino County is doing? I will. And although cautious, I will say we look like we're doing better with the numbers. Um, We have had a total of... um, well, let's see, where are we? Total of 1,030 cases in our county. Um, and that includes now seven in the hospital, none in the ICUs, which is good. Um, we did have a very high case rate uh, over the last month. Uh, it's what brought us from red all the way to purple, where everything was closed down again. Um, and I'll just remind you that the peak went up to 13.14. This is what the state uh, evaluates us on. And uh, today, the average daily positive case rate, uh, that's an average over seven days for 100,000 people, and it's seven days ago, but it's come down to 8.57. Yeah, that sounds a lot better than last week, for sure. Yeah. At this rate, you know, my hope is that we can be in the range of the red tier uh, by the end of next week. However, we do have always the possibility of outbreaks. Halloween is coming up. People can get into gatherings and spread it around easily. So let's all try to wear masks, keep our social distances, and avoid gatherings with people outside your household uh, and outside your cohorts if you're in cohorts um, so we can get this down to red and we can begin to open up you know, all of the things that we want to see, including gyms and restaurants, they'll be partially open, but it's a big difference from being all closed down. So um, we did have, we did have another two deaths this week. So we're up to 21 people who have left our community and we mourn them. Um, And I will stop there. And I think it's time for questions. All right. And Becky Emery, do you have any updates from the (laughs) department operations center? How are things going with contact tracing? How many people are in uh, in isolation versus in quarantine right now in the county? Uh, certainly, you know, and I appreciate Dr. Corn's update. Uh, you know, he did share that we have 85 individuals that are in isolation at home and seven in the hospital. So we have a total of 92 individuals in isolation across Mendocino County. And currently we have 209 individuals in quarantine. 
Uh, we are still working very closely with uh, uh, community partners. Uh, we have two outbreaks that we are um, working through uh, and continuing to manage and monitor. Uh, the team has done a really phenomenal job, especially some of our clinic partners and their par participation in that response as well. So um, really has been a, a great response all the way around uh, to the outbreaks and to the increases in cases that we've had and how we're working towards uh, seeing those numbers go down. All right, yeah, the, so last week we were talking about three outbreaks in the county, and now you're talking about two. So can you give us the, the sort of narrative for, between last week and this week? What were those three, and now what are the two? Certainly. So the three that we were still responding on last week was the Ken Fowler, uh, the uh, One in Point Arena, and the outbreaks in the Round Valley. Uh, and so the Ken Fowler uh, outbreak uh, those individuals have been released from isolation and quarantine, and so we're now still responding, of course, on the one from uh, primarily. Uh, so our primary response on outbreaks is to the Point Arena and to the Round Valley outbreaks. So those are continuing responses. As you know, people are in isolation for 10 days and quarantine for 14, so it takes some time on those. Right. And so how are um, how are they doing in Round Valley and how are they doing in Point Arena? I see that you've had, you had a testing event in Round Valley yesterday and you have one in Point Arena this weekend. Uh, we're continuing our testing events in both areas. Uh, we have been, um, you know, working very closely to manage each of those situations with um, the health professionals in those areas as well. Uh, and I think that they've done a really great job in those responses and to that effort. We're continuing to do the testing so that we can continue to monitor and manage those situations uh, in effort and making sure that, um, you know, that there aren't additional spreads. All right, you want to announce the testing events in Wallala and in Point Arena? Or I can if you'd like. I'll let you do it. <laughs> okay. We've got a, a screening, a free COVID-19 screening event in Wallala on Saturday. Uh, and that's from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. But this one's by appointment only at the RCMS clinic in Gualala in the triage tent. So in order to get an appointment, you need to go to rcms-healthcare.org and click the Get Tested button. So that's happening in Gualala. And then I saw on your Facebook page, uh, Mendocino County Public Health Facebook page, that there's a, a screening event in Manchester po at the Manchester Point Arena Clinic. Um, and that's on, is that on Saturday or Sunday? Uh, I believe that's at the Veterans Hall. Oh, okay. Manchester Point Arena on Sunday. All right. And that's on Sunday. Okay. And it's from yep. 9.30 to 2 o'clock? Yes. All right. Great. And if anybody needs more information about that, they where can they call? Um, if they need more information on that one, uh, they can go ahead and call um, our call center, and that is 472-2759. Uh, 2759-472-2759 is the relatively new county call center number. It, it changed from the, from the other number a few weeks ago. So just a heads up on that if you haven't written that one down yet, 472-2759. All right, well, let's go ahead and up, open up the phone lines and see what's on people's minds this afternoon in terms of Mendocino County's COVID response. Good, after, no. good afternoon, Call You're live on the air. Let me just mention, too, for everybody else, uh, the number is 707 895 2448 if you'd like to call in and ask a question of our county public health officer dr andy corn all right caller go ahead it's your turn hi i just had a couple questions um i'm wondering if you're hoping that um eventually if everyone catches on to wearing a mask um 
and doing all the other protocol that the virus will die out. And if that's, a, if that's what happens, if the virus has no host. And then my second question is, has there ever been a vaccine, um, an immunization for any past coronaviruses? Obviously not this one, but coronaviruses have been around probably before the 70s, but I, I know at least the 70s they've listed coronavirus. So I'm wondering, have we ever had an immunization for coronavirus? And um, I really appreciate you having this show. Thank you. Two great questions. I'm just trying to write them down so I don't forget. <laughs> uh, first of all, <clears throat> I would not expect, even if we're uh, doing all the right things and we get the case numbers way down, that the virus is actually going to die out. So what tends to happen in these cases is um, we try and develop the immunity of the entire population. And if we can stay ahead of the virus, it mutates and becomes less pathogenic, less infectious, maybe transmits less, and that sort of thing. And they have less hosts. And when it's really low enough, then we have what's been called herd immunity. So for one person to be infected, uh, for that person to transmit it to another person, the germ actually has to jump over several people who are already immune. That's what herd immunity is. That takes, you know, probably in the range of 70 or so percent of the whole population to be immune, either by having caught it naturally or by being immunized. Being immunized usually gives a little better immunity. Uh, so getting on to the next question is, has there been a vaccine for COVID? Um, there has not. They've tried to get, um, they've tried to develop good vaccines for this type of virus with the um, uh, SARS epidemic, uh, the um, severe uh, respiratory disease syndrome uh, epidemic that they had uh, about 20 years ago. Um, and then another one with the MERS that MER was from ME was from the Middle East uh, coronavirus, and uh, the problem at that point was actually creating a uh, immunization that was very effective, and so that they were not very effective. The good news is that technology has changed massively right now, so they have uh, found different ways, especially with the genomes being uh, uh, able to uh, be uncovered and used among labs around the world. Because one of the things that uh, happened in China is as soon as, they, as soon as they identified this virus and understood that it was, um, that it was highly infectious, um, they, they did a genotyping of it and they sent it around to labs around the world. So immediately work could be, could be begun uh, on, um, on all the continents to try and develop a, um, a vaccine. The other thing is that they're developing vaccines that are not just based on whole germs that they grow and then develop um, uh, antibodies against them, but they're able to identify certain proteins and actually the genes in the germs that produce those proteins and produce the antibodies um, well, it's, it's actually produced the vaccine, which is different than an antibody in this case, much quicker and much more directly. And that's the reason why our advances in developing vaccines are astronomically faster now than they would have been even 
three or four years ago. Um, so it's very hopeful that we'll have a vaccine. It still has to be vetted that it's efficient, that it works, that it keeps uh, keeps people protected. And how much it does that is a question, how effective it is, and how long it lasts is always a question. And of course, the first question is, is it safe? And it wouldn't be safe if we don't take the time to check it. And that's why there are trials. And you'll hear things about phase one and phase two and phase three trials that the FDA um, has to put these medications through. And the first one is just a safety trial. And all of them all the way through are looking at safety. But we don't want to inject somebody who is otherwise healthy with a vaccine to protect them. But the vaccine could cause problems. And that is an issue with with, uh, the development of vaccines. So it's got to take some time. There needs to be tens of thousands of people who get evaluated. And that's already beginning with one or two of the vaccines. So there's hope that it'll be it'll be produced. Uh, we're all hopeful that it'll be safe and effective and that it'll last a long time and that we'll get there. But then there's also the issue of distribution. So uh, distributing these involves pack- packaging them up and making sure they're safe to travel wherever they go, wherever they're from. One of the vaccines, for example, is only stable at 70 degrees centigrade below, below zero. So it's huge. There's very few refrigerators in the community that has that. But, you know, as they do the research, they'll figure out, well, what's a, you know, are there other ways to package it, distribute it, and get it out? That's part of what the research is. It's just moving so fast, it's hard to keep up with all the different angles that have to be investigated and, and the problem solved. And then of that was course, a long answer. No, but that's that's good. Uh, and of course, then we get into the the social stuff around distribution sure. and, and issues of equity and uh, the nightmare of making sure that the people who are most vulnerable get it, and regardless of the cost that that, that all of these vaccines are free. It needs to be paid for. It needs to be extensive. And another issue with distribution is how many people will feel safe taking. So some people really are against all vaccines. Uh, some people are against all medicines, you know, but there are reasonable concerns. Uh, and we, that's, part, and, and that's what the scientists are looking at is what right. are those concerns and how safe is it? And, so on. and the credibility gap, of course, that came up during yeah, the vice presidential huge. debate this week. Um, I also want to ask you, you mentioned that as the cases start to dwindle and the numbers get down, go down, that the virus tends to be less strong. Uh, is that, did I understand that right? No, as time goes on, viruses mutate. Mm-hmm. Some mutate very rapidly. That was a problem with the HIV, um, the HIV infections. HIV kept changing, so it's very hard to make a vaccine against that. But but uh, but uh, viruses are relatively simple organisms, and they can change, and so they can change for the worse, which is what this did when it jumped from another, you know, from an animal to humans. But they can also change and be less effective against the human race. So, right. But I, I thought I heard you happens. talk about as as more people develop immunity, then the virus becomes less virulent. Did I misunderstand that? So, as time goes on and more people develop immunity, mm-hmm. whether it's natural immunity or not natural, not natural immunity. In other words, we give vaccinations. We don't have a guarantee that we're going to stay ahead of this virus. But we've had that issue with all the other viruses that we've developed vaccines for. So what what they look for is a a protein that's a very important protein for the virus to invade or create havoc within the human body. And so they've identified, for the most part, my understanding is 
that they have um, identified the proteins that allow the virus to latch on to human cells. And then in turn, they've identified the sequence of nucleic acids, the DNA, that codes for that protein. So if they can develop um, a vaccine that teaches the body to look for that DNA sequence or those proteins, that's the way we'll be able to keep people healthy. I guess they'll make their own antibodies. Yeah. Well, so what I was wondering, really, what I was getting at is that we have so many cases, over 7.2 million cases at this point in in the United States. And I wonder if there's the opposite effect that and I know that there must be that the more prevalent this disease is in the population, the harder it's going to be to develop, um, the, the harder it is to bring those numbers down. Right. Like in countries across the world, the New Zealand, for example, has had no cases in the last seven days or whatever. Uh, and, yeah. and therefore, when they do get one case, then they can contact trace, figure out exactly where it came from, isolate that person. But we're at the point where we're just awash in it. And I wonder about uh, the, the strength of the virus. It's obviously mutating. But here in the U.S., it has way more opportunity to mutate because there's so many more cases of it. Um, and, and what effect does that have on our hopes for uh, quelling this thing at some point? It's a battle. It's, it's a, a worse battle when there are more uh, on, the, on the side of the enemy. It's a worse battle when our, our uh, people are not united against it. And right now, while the scientists figure out how to you know, solve the problem um, biochemically with vaccines, we need everybody on our side to fight it with the tools that we have. And that is masks, distance, and hand washing and so forth. And yes, it's difficult. Um, if in countries that were much more affected, they were much more unified in their response. Uh, China was obviously the first and was very badly affected. And they were able to just knock it down pretty quickly because of the type of government and social structure that they have. And other countries around the world have also been able to do that. Um, ours, unfortunately, sort of took, on a national basis, turned the other the other way and did not release the kinds of resources that we had that we could have used. And, uh, and so there's, there's not the resources that we, now we're starting to get the hard resources, but there's not a lot of uh, unity around how, how to deal with it. And we're going very late, you know, so this started last January when it was small, if we had done all the things that we know we had to do, it wouldn't be this big now, right. but now we're going on nine months of not only masking and distancing, but this lockdown, if you want to talk about it that way, um, where businesses are closed the because it's in place. dangerous. Can I ask you something about the president? Um, last Friday, of course, our president tested, or well, it was announced that President Trump tested positive, and then uh, it was discovered that he was a, a super spreader and has now infected dozens, if not a hundred people in his circle. Um, so that's the kind of leadership that we have in the United States right now. But he seems to be getting the best treatment possible for the COVID-19 infection and will probably do okay. Um, I wonder about the risk of COVID, of, of the deadliness of COVID, if a lot of that is because medical systems get overwhelmed and people just can't get care. But if, the, if you're able to get care, you can do okay, like the president seems to be doing? If the... 
If the system gets overwhelmed, there will be more people who die of it, more than we have now, proportionately in terms of the numbers of cases. And that's one of the reasons all of our efforts to flatten the curve that we used to use is to keep our emergency rooms and our ICUs and our hospitals available to be able to take care of those who got sickest of the germ. Um, you know, whether President Trump gets the best care or not the best care, um, at some point it does make a really big difference. But at other points, the, the tools that we have to fight COVID in particular are very primitive. The remdesivir can work, but it's a, you know, it's a, it's a percentage of cases that it works on. It's not 100%. Uh, the dexamethasone, the anti-inflammatory, works at a certain stage of the disease. We're getting a better knowledge about how and when to use these. Uh, but there are certain complications with the COVID infection that we don't have a good way to deal with. And people, you know, and then it's, it's, it's chance. We don't, we don't know how to deal with it. So, All right, well, so if he gets into that, if he gets into one of those syndromes, um, he'll get the best care, but the best care might not do well enough. Well, we do have a call, so let's see what, what the caller has to say. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. I just wanted to know how they handled um, all this stuff 100 years ago. I, I was reading in the, in, the, uh, in the Chronicle about some of, the, some of the old days, and I wondered how they did it back then. Thank you. Okay, do, do you understand that? Yeah, I, okay. I, think, I think the caller was asking about how did they deal with all this a hundred years ago? And, you know, they dealt with it in many of the same ways that we deal with it now. Uh, we have, we have the uh, systems and the science to understand when it's happening better. They didn't know in one part of the country, what was happening in the other part of the country. Um, it spread among certain vulnerable people first. And I think we can talk about the 1918 flu epidemic or pandemic. Um, and there was a, a war going on at that point. And among the uh, military, it took huge numbers of lives. Um, and yet they didn't know that until a ship would, would port at New York or in San Francisco, and then it would be terrible. Um, once they figured it out, they didn't have the kinds of communication or the kinds of, uh, of uh, we didn't have masking at that point that we really understood. So it was washing hands, keeping distance. Uh, but it was very hard to prevent people from getting together and spreading it. And the numbers overwhelmed our health system. So, you know, in, when you look up uh, past epidemics, uh, horrible scenarios happened. Um, people couldn't get to a hospital. And when they died, they couldn't get buried. It was, it was literally people in the streets. So we don't have that situation right now, and we don't want that. Truer words were never said. We do not want that. We don't want anything remotely like that. And uh, we don't want to have to have herd immunity be our <laughs> our main way of addressing this pandemic. We want to be smarter than that. Um, okay, the numbers here in the studio, 707-895-2448. That's 895-2448. I'm Alicia Bales. This is the local coronavirus update. And Fridays, we get to talk with our county public health officer, Dr. Andy Corin, and get the latest about the county's pandemic response and the numbers of cases here in the county uh, and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so if you have a question for Andy Corin, do call 707-895 2448 the lines are open which is rare with these local coronavirus updates so if you have a question uh and now's your time to call 
Um, I was listening to your update with the Board of Supervisors this week, and you were talking about some adjustments to the state guidelines about equity um, and whether or not uh, local counties, rural counties like ours, uh, were going to be subject to the same rules or if there was something that could happen that would, would help us get to the red tier faster. Uh, because we're different than, say, urban counties. Um, we do have a call. Do you want, Can you give a, a super short answer to that one, and then we'll take this call, or do you want to hold that question? I have a short answer. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll just say one thing to correct a little bit. There are two different kinds of equity issues. One is small county, uh, lower population areas, and large counties, and uh, that's being addressed by looking at different numbers um, and tallying them, uh, and... For the most part, that's gonna; those changes are gonna help us. If we get into the red, stay in the red, so we won't be disqualified by one or two cases that make us go from, let's say, orange to purple, right? uh, and that would flip-flop businesses, schools, and so on. Um, the other is a more difficult uh, nut to crack, and why don't we wait until the caller has Alrighty. done? sounds good. Nut. Hello, caller, you're live on the air. Hi. Um, my question and observation actually is that getting people to comply with isolation and quarantine is um, a big issue. And um, I'm not sure that the county is adequately addressing that because um, I think that there's a large population that the primary wage earner uh, is ordered into isolation, but they are then not able to pay their rent or um, get groceries. And um, so they have to make a choice between obeying the order or um, taking care of their family. And I'm wondering if the county has plans to um, have a more robust um, response to this issue so that we can stop the spread. All right. Thanks, caller. Good. Well, that actually gets to some of the other part of the disparities that the equity plan is geared to. But I should say, first of all, that when we find people who do have the isolation or do have uh, the positive test or their close contacts, for each of those groups, for the ones who are positive, we put them in isolation. And for the ones that are close contacts, we quarantine them. Uh, the county does uh, provide a lot of support for them. And actually, let me uh, turn it over to Becky to explain some of those uh, supports and who's doing them. Certainly. Uh, so we have a contract with North Coast Opportunities that is assisting with individuals that are in isolation and quarantine uh, that are in their homes to be able to provide supports for them, including uh, meals and um, uh, personal needs items. Uh, you know, there is definitely the Families First Coronavirus Response Act that um, uh, provides for uh, paid sick leave and paid unemployment benefits for those individuals that have tested positive for coronavirus. So we certainly want to encourage people to access those resources. Uh, additionally, we um, have been supporting individuals that uh, through various programs. We have our Great Plates program that is helping individuals as well that can't um, 
access and, and get food for themselves. They can't leave. They can't get those. And, and um, <clears throat> additionally, we uh, have been working with individuals through our alternate care sites that can't isolate or quarantine in their own homes to provide those supports. So there's a, a quite a few supports that we have done. Uh, we also, as far as the um, enforcement have been working with um, our special investigations unit that does regular reports as people are calling in and reporting those incidences. Well, code enforcement for both uh, the city and the county or cities and counties have been uh, responding uh, as they've been made aware of various circumstances and also environmental health has been assisting uh, in going out with outbreaks and, and looking at businesses and assisting them to ensure that they are complying and um, have the right protocols in place. Uh, and also our local law enforcement is, is a, a, you know, responding to calls and um, uh, reports of, of noncompliance. All right. Thanks I think, for that. I think uh, one of the major issues is supporting. And from, from the county public health point of view, we're trying to do as much as we possibly can to support people who are on isolation orders or, or who are in quarantine, because that is necessary. We've had some people who've been noncompliant, but that's not been the overwhelming uh, um, problem in our community. People have cooperated. And not only do we we investigate each case and trace the contacts that they've had, but we daily call the people who are isolated and make sure they're doing okay. And if they're not doing okay, we get we get the forces in to try and help them. And we, we call the people in quarantine on a regular basis as well. And Becky, how long is the Great Plates program extended to here in the state? Do you know? Well, we keep getting extensions. Um, we just got a recent one. Uh, I believe we're now extended into uh, the first part of November. I think they're on the 9th or the 11th. Oh, I you have think to they again. would extend it through Thanksgiving? <laughs> they, they extend it on a monthly basis. Got it. Um, and we keep getting those extensions as those extensions uh, come up. We then uh, take those contracts forward to the board and, and um, continue that program. And it's been supporting a significant number of people in our community. Amazing. All right, we've got one more call. They've been waiting patiently on the line. I'm going to see what they have to say. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Hi, I'm calling from Fort Bragg. And <clears throat> excuse me for my voice. I'm in an apartment that's got 30-some-year-old carpet and mold. And I've been sick for about four out of the seven years I've been here, so I've got a compromised immune system. But I was wondering about something because my my youngest son, and this is all true, he had the DPT vaccination and he went into grand mal seizures and almost died, and he finally got over them by the when he was in the fourth grade. Uh, I weaned him off his medication of Dilantin, and they thought he was going to be brain damaged for the rest of his life from the vaccination, they said we must have given him some out of a bad batch at the clinic here in Fort Bragg years ago. Then my son had uh, uh, polio vaccination. He came down with a case of polio afterwards, and his legs were so skinny, his head would flop over when he was little, and I had to carry him after only about a block of walking. And then... On top of that, now my grand, my son's, uh, my granddaughter, his his daughter, Brooke, um, had the DP or the H1N1 flu vaccination when she was little, and she had an ear infection, but they gave it to her anyway. She went into grand mal seizures that lasted 45 minutes apiece. Now, years later, they said they can't control her seizures anymore, that they're going to have to go in there and operate on her brain. 
and they don't know for sure if she's going to make it and take part of her brain out, piece of it, so that they can stop the seizures. So I was wondering, with all this going on with these vaccinations, how do we know whatever it is that they come up with that the public is going to either have to take or voluntarily take? How do we know they're going to be anywhere near safe? I'll take my answer off the air. Thank you so much. God bless you all. Well, I can try and respond to that question. Um, it is one of the challenges of developing any vaccine. We're giving a, a medicinal agent to an otherwise healthy person, and anything we give could be causing something or it could be associated with something that would emerge anyway. But we do know that there's a percentage of people who will have a seizure after some medicines. And we do know that um, there are, it's not bad batches of polio. I'm not quite sure what happened with your daughter, um, but um, certainly uh, we consider polio pretty much a non-existent threat in the United States at this point, unless you don't get um, it, the most recent outbreaks of polio in the United States and Canada have been among people who have said no to getting the polio vaccine. So there's there there are pluses and minuses to everything. Um, certainly with vaccines, I'm not going to hide the fact that there are potential risks. And uh, the experience your family has had, I'm you know I'm very sorry for it. it they're bad experiences. They are not nearly what the experience is either in the United States or worldwide, but we know that it exists. In fact, we know so well that it exists that everyone who gives a vaccine <clears throat> has to register that vaccine is given, has to inform people of the potential problems that your family has unfortunately suffered disproportionately from, um, and and then there's actually in the United States an insurance program that would help with those cases. Private insurance, uh, malpractice insurance, long time ago said, no, we're not going to do it because, because the liability was too great. And, and it's understandable. But bad things happen whether you're vaccinated and more bad things happen. Much more bad things happen when you're not vaccinated. So we still tend to recommend vaccinations. Um, whether a COVID vaccine will be safe is we'll have to see when it comes out. I'm hoping that they'll do all the necessary uh, testing to make sure it's very safe. One of my concerns is that it has become politicized. Uh, uh, both the uh, non-medicinal treatments uh, for COVID has been politicized, like wearing masks or not wearing masks, and the reliance on a vaccine has become politicized. We really don't want the reliance on the vaccine or other medicines uh, to be politicized to such an extent that it's released before it's proven to be safe. But again, I mean to say, safety is not 110%. There is a very, very small percentage of people that can have experiences like your children have, and, it, and it's terrible, and I, and I am sorry for it. Um, but I, I wouldn't let that be a reason uh, for people to shun vaccines because many more people will be hurt by the diseases than they are by the vaccine, by the vaccines, yeah. 
All right, right. So we have um, this collision of all of these different forces in our society around the politicization of healthcare and and science and people's uh, the polarization of different camps around truth, uh, and that is one of our huge obstacles in fighting this pandemic that we have seen from the very beginning and before. We've been struggling this with this for quite a while, and now we seem to be at quite an apex of uh, the divisions in this country as we head into the November election on November 3rd. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't know what, the, what to leave it with the last word, but that's the reality we're living in. And it's for, for thousands of people in our country, it's putting our lives at risk of COVID. Uh, and fascinating to just watch that one of the side effects of, of the treatment that President Trump seems to be having is uh, tweeting uh, <laughs> that's a pre-existing condition yeah right it's just it, it exacerbated the condition uh so yeah so we'll keep reporting on it it's one of the reasons that we are doing this program three times a week from 3 to three thirty on monday wednesday and fridays uh because we want to make sure that people have access to reliable and accurate healthcare information so on mondays and wednesdays we're here with dr drew colfax and on fridays we're here with dr andy corin Thank you so much, all of you, for being here and continuing to have this commitment to uh, getting out the, the trustworthy information to Mendocino County. Can't thank you enough. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Alicia. Have a great Can weekend. Can share just really quick that we have yeah. three testing opportunities this weekend in the coast? Yes, please. Uh, so please come again, 930 to 2 at the Manchester Point Arena Clinic on Saturday, also from 12 to 6, by appointment only at the Redwood Coast Medical Services on Saturday, and on Sunday from 9.30 to 12 at the Point Arena Veterans Hall. All right, so there are three. Okay, good. And Dr. Corin? Yeah, let me add something. The I was just on the call with the clinics, and the technology of, of having these appointments now means that they're doing two vaccinations every five minutes. So oh, it's you a mean little more tests. difficult to set your appointment up but you're, you're not waiting in line for hours to get your appointment. The other thing I would add is that Sunday, we have OptumServe in Ukiah open, and, and that's a very important thing for us to, to promote. Yes, OptumServe is wonderful in Ukiah, and the people who administer the tests are lovely. They are just so gentle, and it's painless. Uh, there's also Anderson Valley Health Center in Anderson Valley is doing tests on Thursday mornings until the end of the year from 9 to 10 30 a.m. or until the swabs run out and that's at Anderson Valley High School in the parking lot for as long as the weather holds and then they'll probably figure out some other location for that but stay tuned and then uh, Mendocino Coast Clinics of course is testing weekly through the end of the year uh, but you have to make an appointment there too and it's 964-1251 to make an appointment in Mendocino Coast clinics and all of this testing it's a, a miracle uh of socialized medicine all of this testing is free so um and and do take advantage of it have our testing numbers come up a little bit dr corin yeah i think um let me just see if i can quote what they are i mean it's nice to see that the We're, testing numbers are going up while the positive results are going down yeah. that's a really good thing good sure. news this week yeah, put up here i think Oh, it doesn't want to do it. He's looking around oh, on his computer. Uh, do you have that data by any chance, Becky? So our surveillance tests, we've had over 27,200 uh, tests. That's 
Amazing. Mendocino County, go. But there's also, um, for a while, we were sort of having a dip in the average numbers per day, right? We kind of, people were kind of slacking off, especially during the fires and the evacuations. Have those daily numbers come up? That's improved. That's very much improved. That's come up. And on the coast, especially uh, in the south coast, we've had days that, uh, well, when you add all the testing that was done, uh, we're well over 100, up to 200, more than that. So, wow. So, you know, people are taking advantage and they're getting it. We want to encourage more and more people to take advantage because that's the way we can wrap ourselves around what is going around and how do we control it. Right. So we've got these outbreak testing uh, events on the coast this weekend and then surveillance testing throughout the county. Uh, just make it part of your monthly routine. There you go. All right. Now we really will say goodbye. Thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate the information. Love it that you're with us every week. And we actually next week, I am going to be on vacation myself for the first time. And I don't even know how long. And so uh, Sarah Reif will be sitting in the chair uh, next Great. Friday and we'll, ha- we'll still have the coronavirus update. So thanks so much. Have a great weekend to you all. You've been listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYXNZ, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time to KZYX Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Williton Ukiah at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening.